Today's message is entitled, No More Taking Sides. Say that with me. Say it out loud. You don't have to write it down. Just say, No More Taking Sides. Say that again. No More Taking Sides. As you can see, you have the two hockey players, the blue, the red. You have the sides. You have the competition. And we know that this world is filled with sides. Now more than ever, there are sides all over the place. There are black sides, white sides, red sides, blue sides, religious sides, civic sides. All of these different sides and beliefs and people fighting and arguing about their sides. Whose side are you on? Well, let me begin with this scriptural illustration. It comes from Joshua 5. I want to read it to you. The text says, All the kings of the Amorites west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings living by the Mediterranean Sea heard that the Lord dried up the Jordan River until the Israelites had crossed it. After that, they were scared and too afraid to face the Israelites. So from this text alone, we see all the kings of the Amorites west of the Jordan. So one side is the Amorites west of the Jordan. Then we have the Canaanite kings living by the Mediterranean Sea. That's another side, the Canaanite kings by the Mediterranean Sea. And then the Lord dried up the Jordan River until the Israelites had crossed it. So the Israelites crossing the river. That's another side. So we've got all these different armies, these different representations of a particular locale or geography representing a, a set of cultures, representing a set of beliefs, established beliefs from where they come from. That's why they're called the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Israelites. Remember, we talked about the Benjamites. All right. But skip down to verse 13 and verse 15. Uh, and it reads like this. It says, Joshua was near Jericho when he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and asked, are you a friend or an enemy? Verse 14 says, the man answered, I am neither. I have come as the commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed face down on the ground and asked, Does my master have a command for me, his servant? The commander of the Lord's army answered, Take off your sandals, because the place where you are standing is holy. So Joshua did. I think you said that, Lou, earlier. This is holy ground. I think you mentioned that. Listen. There's an interjection <clears throat> in this text. In Joshua 5, 1, we saw all these different sides. Now there's an interjection of a non-sided being. So look at 13. The last part of 13 says, Joshua saw a man standing in front of him with a sword. He's saying, are you another side? He says, are you friend or enemy? In other words, whose side are you on? 14 says, <clears throat> The man answered, I am neither. 
I have come as the commander of the Lord's army. So what I want you to see is that the emphasis on is on I am neither. In other words, I'm not on anybody's side. Joshua said, are you friend or are you a foe? Are you enemy? Whose side are you with the Amorites? You with the Canaanites? Are you with us? Who do you represent? Because Joshua saw a man standing with the sword and he said, I want to know what side are you taking? Watch this. The man says, I'm not taking either side. I represent the Lord's army. I'm on God's side. So because of neither and a clear statement that he represented an objective uh, God, he says, God, I'm representing God. This caused Joshua to bow down. He said, wait a minute. So then these sides don't matter. Joshua bowed down to God, which seemed to suggest that the neitherness of God uh, demanded a different response from Joshua. Because I would like to think that if Joshua was facing a man with a sword that he deemed another side as an opponent, that maybe Joshua would posture himself to fight back. But because God was on neither side, he didn't posture himself to fight back. What he did instead was bow down and worshiped him. So it could be assumed that literally there is no one side on earth that we want to take because technically all sides are flawed on earth. You tracking? That there is no, the Amorites are flawed. The Canaanites are flawed. Even the Israelites are flawed. Christians are flawed. So when we talk about this world <clears throat> full of sides, you got, you got sides in your family. One side of your family acts one way. <clears throat> one side of your family believes another way. But all of us are flawed. And so technically, the only side we wish to take should be God's side. So the the sermon topic is no more taking sides. And so for us to clamor to be on the right side, you know, we argue a mean argument. I'm on the right side or I'm on the left side. This is foolish. Why? Because all sides fall short of God's glory. So it doesn't matter what side you pick. It doesn't matter what belief you pick. All of them are flawed. And the only side that is worth bowing to is God. This means then, as long as we are on earth, watch this, there will always be sides. And it is the sides of the world that are dividing. Ah, come on. So if there's a side to this wall, it is dividing from this side of the wall. Are you tracking? So if you posture yourself this way, we'll say to people, turn to your left side. When I turn to my left side, that creates a different perspective and it blocks my left side. You get what I'm saying? So whenever you have sides, sides block you from something else. 
In other words, sides create divisions, or we could call them partitions. When we put things in between things, we create sides. Oh, come on, man. You got to think with me. Come on, Tabitha. Come on in. The question arises, as Christians who are supposed to know the objective man in Joshua 5, like Joshua should have known that was the army of the Lord's host, we are Christians, we're supposed to know the objective God. So the question arises, how do we bridge the gap of all of these dividing sides? Glad you asked that. Look at the next slide. How do we bridge this gap in a divided world? None of us can deny that we are more divided than ever in politics, in religion, in race, financial division, family, friends. But how, how do we bridge the gap? We mustn't choose a side. We don't bridge the gap by choosing a side. We don't bridge the divide by joining another side. So often we think the way to remedy division is to just give in to the other side. But when we choose a side, watch this now, we represent the opposite of the opposition. So because there are so many sides, even when you join a side, that side is in opposition to somebody else's side. Are you tracking? So we can't keep running in life from side to side And many of us see sides as relationships. You sided with Tony. You sided with Lisa. But when that side didn't pan out, you want to run to another side. What do we say? The grass is always greener on the other side, right? Because we know we live in a life with sides, But just remember, there are so many sides that any side you take will be in opposition to another side somewhere else. And so God asked me to speak this message to teach you how to take no more sides. Because it's harder to win others when you're the enemy. Watch this now. So if we're sided with people who are opposite someone else, it's hard to win them because you're postured as their enemy. But if we're helpful individuals that are sideless, ah, God, if we remove the partitions, if we live a life that doesn't create sides, then we're not anyone's opponent or enemy, but rather we are effective at winning them all. Oh, God, come on, think with me. We can win more, and offer more than people would be willing to accept if we could learn how to live without sides. And oh God, there are so many sides today. 
I bring this up because we as the church can't just stand by and do nothing as we see the world becoming more divided day in and day out. We can't just keep going to church and ignoring the obvious choice. We cannot keep ignoring the divisions and the problems in our land that people keep taking these sides. And I'm telling you, these sides are getting more angrier. They're getting vicious. We're we're carrying guns. We're hating hate speech online everywhere. We must remember why we're here. That the church is not here to take sides. Ooh. We're here to believe. We're here to hope the best for everybody. We cannot, as church people say, well, I'm only siding with the right, forget the left. It is our job to believe that God loves both the right and the left. The alcoholic and the churchgoer, the deacon, the choir singer, and the fornicator. We are not here to take sides. We are not here to link up with only those who agree with us. But we are here to believe the best for every man or woman. Use I don't have friends who are homosexual. I don't have friends who are of the lesbian, gay, or whatever community, or transgender. We're not, well, I don't associate. Why? We must believe for them as well. Hallelujah. I don't hang with the gangsters and they thugs and we don't, I don't go over here. Why? The church is called to believe God's plan for us is a plan of peace with a future and an expected end. And so to believe is to have hope for people who are losing their hope. And I believe the United States and the world all around us, there are people who are, people don't want to vote, people don't, what good does it make? Those are signs of losses of hope. When you don't want to, I ain't getting married again, honey. This is, this is it for me. I, I'm done with this foolishness. That's a loss of hope. I'm not going back to school. I tried that before. That's a loss of hope. And we as believers must come out of our churches, our iglesias, our buildings, and go into the world and believe for people who are losing hope. God help us all if the church folk start losing hope. And church folk are even losing hope. Church folk are losing hope. You know how I know? Because church folk are going around talking about, you know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I don't go to church no more, I just go to God. Or the universe is this and it's all powerful. You are losing, listen, listen, listen to me. God is still God. And because you had a bad experience in church doesn't stop that. It doesn't negate the church's effectiveness and why he put it in place on the earth. You've just got to find the right church. You cannot stop believing because you've had some pain. It is the pain of life that exacerbates or implodes or or embellishes or enlivens your faith. You ought to believe God more after you come out of a divorce. 
You ought to believe God more after you've almost lost your life. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? This might be too deep. You want to turn me off. This is not good, Pastor Cherry. I'm not tracking. Remember why we're here. We're here to believe, to have hope for people who are losing their hope. And we as the church should be able to walk into any situation and offer good news. We ought to be able to walk in the most deplorable circumstance and say, I still believe God. You ought to be able to walk into a marriage that's on its last leg. And yes, you can see that it's really bad. Sure, I've counseled couples and it looks real bad. But if I sit before them and I don't look like I have hope, what kind of counselor am I? What kind of Christian are you who professes to hold God in his heart or her heart and you walk around people every day and your response to their dilemma is, well, child, I don't know. You might as well go to happy hour and get drunk. Turn them to God. Ask them whose side are you on. The new action we must learn then as we continue to be people of action, Cynthia, is to remove subjectivity whenever possible. We must learn the action of no more sides. Somebody say no more sides. In the process of conflict, in the process of debate, or just two normal sides of things. Whenever we see sides, we have to ask God to make us sideless. If we're going to win people or win the world for God, we can't be people who choose sides. Whose side do you take? And if you take a side, you become the opposition of the other side. No matter which side you choose, Even when you choose God's, even when you choose the right side, even when you choose to do the right thing, don't you still get hate mail? Don't you still have people who don't, it doesn't matter whether you do right or you do wrong. We say, damned if I do, damned if I don't. It doesn't matter because whatever side you take, there will always be another side that sees you as the opposition And so therefore, we don't bridge the gap by our own subjectivity, meaning we have a side, but we must learn to live by objectivity. Not subjectivity, but objectivity. Let me explain why. When we look and we talk about objectivity, there is a danger to taking sides, Grizz. There's a danger when you align with a particular group or an entity, there's a danger when you associate with only one particular group. But objectivity breaks down the walls of the prisoners and the fighters on both sides. Objectivity breaks down the walls. Subjectivity raises up walls. When you're in an argument, don't you ever wonder why we can't get any farther because somebody keeps raising another issue. I was watching uh, something of Huntsville, marriage of Huntsville, and they played some silly game. It's called uh, what you said, what you thought, and what what you heard, what I heard, what I said, and what I meant. 
and they went around the table asking people to drum up what they said from an argument before and said, thinking that this was going to heal and bring peace. Child, you get people talking about old wounds that they haven't gotten over. Somebody keeps raising issues and they went around the table and it didn't get very far because people was like, I don't want, I don't want to say nothing. I don't want to say nothing. I don't want to, cause if I say something, it's going to be on and popping. And, and, and this idea or notion that subjectivity, it raises walls. You cannot bring resolution unless we are objective and objectivity lowers the walls because each side will be arguing in favor of its own side. The Israelites are arguing from the Israelites' perspective. Your husband is arguing from your husband's perspective. Your wife is arguing from your wife. The black man is arguing from the African-American's perspective. The, the political party is arguing from their perspective. And in many ways, we get stuck to a side and it becomes our prison so not only are we in a world of sides, but these sides have become our prisons. We have locked ourselves behind how we were raised. And, and well, my mama taught me as if no other teaching is right. As if I went to Harvard and Harvard is the only school or that's the only professor that has that kind of thought process. You have a thought, you have a mind of your own that somewhere in another part of the world, there is a heal, there is a cure for some disease that we haven't found yet in the United States. You get what I'm saying? That there are other sides in the world that we have not allowed ourselves to be open to. And objectivity creates these prisons if we espouse ourselves to logic of our own or even of another. And often people, watch this now, people, Joy, they won't even take the side of their opponent even if they know their opponent is right. And they won't take the side because of pride and because it's not my side. I didn't think of it. Even though I know you're right, I will stay in prison to my own trapped Logic that is faulty, and I know it's faulty, but it's how I was raised. That's all right. You ain't got to say amen. You ain't got to say amen. This is toxic, stinking thinking that we all have been raised up in our cultures and our psychological or sociological behaviors. But we as Christians are to give people another option that isn't our option. It is the option of all. We must learn not to fight and roar. What's her name? Katy Perry, hear me roar. Sing my song. It is not our option to roar as if we're trying to get you on our side. We must point to the option that is objective. The option that is not mine, nor is it yours. But it is the man standing with the sword who says, whose side are you on? I'm on neither. Is anybody tracking and so to bridge a gap, you must be objective for both people. You must be objective if you're going to bridge a gap. You cannot bridge the gap if you're arguing for another side. Help me, Jesus. 
If you're a lobbyist on the kings of executive of status, you will not be objective to divide. You will only argue a point that benefits you. And I'm tired of the church arguing for the point that only benefits the church. And we leave the the the, the traffic, the sex trafficked young girl on the street because they don't come to church. We leave the drug addict out there without anyone to care for. We won't visit them. We'll go to church five times a week, but we won't go to a prison uh, to see somebody who doesn't have family. That's all right. I'm preaching to myself. I feel like I'm in my own zone. Shana, this all right. I don't I might not even comment, but let me help you, help you with this. It has to be worth their while. It has to be worth their while to give up something. But what if giving up meant gaining? What if we could suggest to others that it's not me you're gaining? I'm not asking you to come to my side, but whenever you give up your side, you can gain something greater from touching God. This is certainly more enticing than asking somebody, come on over to my side. Come on over to be a Christian. You ain't going to win nobody by that. You need to point them to something greater than you. Help them see. I'm not asking you to be like me. I'm not asking you to be me. What I'm asking you to do is to see God. Take the light and the focus off of you and point people to God. He is the only objective object that can do more for others than we could ever reason or debate or philosophize before people in our daily rhetoric. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Philippians 1.21, we have to help people see that whatever they lose, they actually gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is my benefit. In other words, to give up this stinking thing to give up hating white people, to give up hating black people, to give up hating other races and cultures, to give up a particular political view, to give up a nationalist perspective, to give up how you were raised, to give up this privileged ideology, and to accept that dying is actually to my benefit. To give it up is actually to become better. To love all colors is actually gain. To actually give my 401k a a little bit of it to help the homeless is actually a gain. To actually walk in and treat people the same way and to not talk down to a waiter or a person we see sweeping the airport. To be able to talk to them and treat them like CEOs of their own business is actually gain. To be able to give up an argument and really let it go is gain for God. To be able to say, all right, you can have it and really mean it because some of y'all say you can have it but you hold it in the carcasses of your heart and you're uh, colliding with your own systems of belief you've become prisoner to a hidden wall in other words you won't say it out loud you won't say I'm still mad at you but you still got a wall up and it's invisible I'll talk about that in just a second and so we must see our lives as constant stripping away but constant putting on as well. So in Joshua 5, we learn that God doesn't take sides. If anything, we take 
his side. I'm not asking you to take the red side. I'm not asking you to take the blue side. I'm not asking you to take the Christian side. I'm not asking you to take the liberal side. I'm asking you to take God's side. And so we aren't asking God to align with us. What's wrong with you people? We're not asking God to align with America. We aren't asking God to align with Christians. We aren't asking God to align with socialists. We're asking us to align with God because only God can be objective. We cannot be objective. There is no such thing as an objective Democrat. There is no thing as an objective Republican. There is no such thing as an objective black man or an objective white man or an objective husband or an objective wife or an objective parent or an objective child. We all have subjectivity when it comes to my children. I've got subjectivity when it comes to my wife. I've got subjectivity Objectivity when it comes to my race. And so when we all take sides of our own in subjectivity, we keep raising the walls with flaws and we will destroy ourselves simply by switching from side to side. Somebody say, no more sides. We need a God to latch on to. And in the objective place is where we will find peace. This world today needs a God to hold on to. We don't need new talking points. We don't need new policies and procedures. And some people choose things that this is good for this. This is good for that. What you need is God. And to make the fight or side yours. In other words, to make that situation yours is to jeopardize peace. The only way we get to peace, y'all, is if we remove the sides. Oh, man. Oh, have you ever been in an argument that wasn't going nowhere? But then you both decide to let your guards down. The only way you start having peace is if you stop taking sides. So to have both sides then go to God, this is the objectivity. You don't want to fight to get them to win to your side. And you don't want to fight to be won to their side. We want to fight to be won to God's side. Are you tracking So then God must become attractive. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Talk to me, cousin. God then must become attractive. If we want this side to like God, we want this side to like God, then God must become attractive. I don't need to be attractive. You don't need to be attractive. We need to point them to an attractive God, the right and the wrong, the good and the bad, the left and the right must point to God. And we often see God as only the God of the just. Well, God only going to respond to the church people. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It means God brings the sun up in the morning to help and bless everybody. You hear me? So he does not wake up in the morning. I'm only giving sunshine to the church folk. I'm only giving sunshine to the people who tithed last Sunday. God is giving sunshine to the junkie, to the felon, to the prostitute, to the liar, to the cheat, to the whoremonger. He's giving sunshine and rain. Oh, to everybody almost sang the May song. He's giving it to everybody. So how dare you wake up in the morning? And decide the side you're going to take. So take yourself out of a side when you present God 
So people's arguments aren't with you, but with God. You keep getting it into it with people because you keep promoting yourself. Point them to God. Let them get in an argument with God. People still have a right to choose. Don't condemn people because they don't acquiesce to your thoughts. Let people fight their belief with God, not with you. If people disagree with you, don't hate them. If people disagree with you, how can you not be a friend? I remember a friend of mine who was is a lesbian. She came to me and she said to me, you know, well, I, I wasn't going to reach out. She wanted to share something with me. Said I didn't want to reach out, but but I knew you were a pastor. Uh, but but I know we're friends. I Well, yeah, we've, we've friends before all this happened. And we're still friends. You can call me. You can talk to me. And and she was so elated. Why? Why? Because I cannot. She may not believe what I, I believe. There's a difference, but it doesn't break up our friendship. How, how can I point them to God if I won't even take their call? The argument is not with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't hate you because you don't believe the way I believe. And you shouldn't hate me because I don't believe the way you believe. We must point to an objective God and let our arguments and our fights be with him. So let me give you 10 clarifying points to solidify this teaching of no more sides. You're going to need some notes on this. Let's look at this text. I'm going to read it quickly. It says, therefore, remember Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 19. Therefore, remember, it's going to go quickly. So I'm going to read the 10, so don't worry. Therefore, remember the formally, that formally, you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. You see the sides? That done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Sides. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. Side. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Sides. Without what? Hope and without God in the world. Sides. 13. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, sides, have been brought near through what? The blood of who? Christ. For he himself is our peace. Do you see how peace comes from the objective Christ? Who has made the two one and has destroyed the what? The barrier, the wall, the side, the dividing wall of hostility that makes us fight. It's the, it's the walls that make us fight, y'all. It's the sides. 15, by abolishing his flesh, Jesus, the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself, listen to this, one new man out of the two, thus making what? Peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them, both sides, to God through what? The cross, the objective cross, by which he put to death their hostility. The objectivity put to death their hostility. 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The liar, the cheat, the whoremonger, and the Christian, the deacon, the song singer. 18, for through him we both have access by, access to the Father by one spirit. We both have access. 
Everybody's got access. 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Woo, do you get it? We are no longer sides. But rather, we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Let me put it to you like this, you guys. Let me help you understand what I mean by this. Point number one, there's always another side. When people come to see me, the wife coming to tell on the husband. My husband, he keep going out every night and my husband won't do this and my husband. And I say, that's fine and dandy. Thank you for your one side. Now get the husband in here because I want to hear his side. In other words, always assume there is another side to everything. Most times there is. And for anybody who is sitting at home right now thinking you're the only one right in this world, you really got problems. There's always another side to your thinking. That's number one. Number two, sides aren't always by choice. Write that down. Sides aren't always by choice. In other words, people often are born into a side. Get what I'm saying? So you cannot be mad at people because of a side they take when the side they're on wasn't their choice. Let people have their side. You don't know how they got there. Some people are born into it. Israel was born into this Jewish mentality. They were born the children of promise. They were born into the covenant. The Gentiles didn't have this promise. That's what Ephesians is talking about. You guys were without promise, but Israel was born into it. They didn't choose it. So why are you hating them? Because that's what they believe. Instead, now we have to point even the Jews to God. Both Jew and Gentile has to find peace through an objective medium. Number three, sides compete. Let me say it over here. Sides compete. Sides by nature are postured to compete before being one team. Let me explain this to you. Always assume that if there's a red team and there's a blue team, the inference immediately is that we're not on the same team. <laughs> and because we're not on the same team, we must be in competition, competition, competition. In other words, we're in competition with one another. So whenever you find yourself on the red side, you ought to already assume that the blue side is competing with you. Now, the role of the husband yeah, ought to always assume that the wife is representing a different side. Uh, that's all right. And then by the time you talk to your children, your children yet have another side. And so if you ever have lived as a parent in a household with kids, you discover that the sides are competing against what a uh, little cherry used to come to me 
and try to manipulate me. Uh, and then because he knew he was the only boy and there was a certain subjectivity I had for the baby boy and he would try to manipulate. In other words, he'd come, but there was another side. And I said, well, what did your mama say? And, and well, well, she didn't say nothing. Well, that's, that, that's, not, not, that's not true. That's not true. Because after I talked to mama, there's another side to it. And then when I talked to the girls, then the girls have another side to it. And you must understand that where there is sales, sales has a different side from HR. And you've got to know what side you're talking. Oh, man, come on. I'm telling you. And where there are sides, you have to know that there is competition. And when there are sides, Joy, sweetie, when there are sides, what do you need that are competing? You need a mediator. So what? The Celtics and the Phoenix Suns play in competition, but they always have a what? A referee, somebody who is objective in the middle to call the shots. And we're in a world that's full of, hallelujah, we're in a world that's full of sides. And we've got to find the referees, the referee of God, the referee of his Holy Spirit, the referee of his angels. We've got to tap into the spiritual dimension. And how do we do that? By believing uh, that we're not going to stand here and argue argue with you until we die from a cardiac arrest. We're going to believe there's something objective. God help me find a way to point this to God. God help me not lead this marriage into a divorce. Help me see the objective light. Help me find the referee. Number four, sides have separating walls that whenever you have sides, just know you have walls. Separation precludes ignorance and a lack of knowledge which incites fear. So whenever I'm on the black side, let's say I'm a black man, I'm an African-American man, which means I grew up probably in a predominantly black uh, community, which means that that side, what do we say? Oh, they live on the east side. They live on the other side of the tracks, right? You, you know, when you're over here, you're ignorant of what is over here. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that you have not grown up in that area. And so whenever you're ignorant or ignore, ignoring, meaning you have not gotten the knowledge, you have gotten, not gotten the knowledge, knowledge of the other side, it creates fear because what you don't know or what you don't understand creates fear. So because we're apart, we don't learn each other. And where there is fear, watch this now, where there's fear, Shana, expect defense. So when you don't know something about a group, a people, a culture, and you're afraid of it because you don't know it, then you posture to defend. Just like the man, Joshua, who looked at the man who came with the sword. He said, Whose side are you on? He said, I need to know whether to fight or not. And until he identified himself as the objective God, that's when he began to bow down. So you must defend uh, or, 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 or you must understand that defense is an enemy of objectivity. If you're defending your side, you cannot be objective. Do you get it? Man, I'm going to stop. What? Who 
who's online, anybody do. Tony, I'm just going to stop. If you're defending your side, you are canceling objectivity. You are saying, I don't want you objective. You're saying, I don't want your reason. I don't want your life. If you're defending what you're arguing, cat dog it. I know this is from God. Help me communicate it. Help us. If I'm defending out of fear, I'm afraid of how you're going to respond. I'm afraid of how you're going to react. Every time I do that, I'm rejecting objectivity, which means I'm objecting God's, I'm rejecting God's objectivity. Number five, differing sides can be brought together. And that's the hope of it. That's the belief of it. We've got to know that differing sides can be brought together. In other words, partitions can be merged. Sometimes on the computer, when I have a bifurcated computer, they ask me sometimes, do you want to merge the files together to create more room? Oh, man. And if we learn to bring the sides together, we create more room for all. Oh, that's so good. When we break down the walls of differences and merge them together, we create more room for all. Number six, confusion can be made clear when communicated properly. Confusion can be made clear when communicated properly. How do you communicate clearly? By not communicating your reasonability. Pick a topic that is objective and let both of you be able to see something that neither of you are arguing for. And you'll see the clarity come from a topic that you're not espoused to because it doesn't represent your side. Number seven, see the invisible walls. Oh, I like this one. Oh, Tia. See the invisible walls that are all around you. People say what they're not saying all the time. And people don't say what they're saying all the time. Those are what we call invisible walls. They say, what's wrong with you, Shana, sitting on the edge of the couch? Nothing. Ain't nothing bothering you. I could tell something is wrong. No, I'm fine. That's an invisible wall. Husband talking to a wife. What? You seem a little off. You seem a little argument. What's wrong? Nothing. No, I'm just tired. I had a long day. That's an invisible wall. There is usually an invisible wall where there are sides. And wherever there there is a side, trust me, there is a wall. In other words, when someone disagrees with you, they may not say it, but there is a wall they feel. What do we say? You feel in some kind of way. And that some kind of way is different from how I feel. God, you might not like this, but I don't care. It's coming down your street. See the invisible wall. And then when you find the invisible wall, Joyce, you got to bring it down. How do you bring down an invisible wall that people don't want to talk about? Then you stop talking about it. You stop bringing up the invisible wall because they won't admit 
get to it. Instead, find something else to talk about. And when they feel comfortable, and just let people keep talking. If they feel good and they talking, pretty soon they gonna let it out. But see, what then they'll say, this is what I was feeling. This, what I, this is what's going on with me. Let me just tell you. Now, because they're willing to open up to you because they feel like you're not interrogating. They feel like it's not your argument. They feel like it's you're not trying to win them over. Let people get to God. Just point them to God. You are not their savior. You are not their judge. You are not their church Christian who's going to hold them accountable. Just point them to God and people will start quacking like ducks. Quack, quack, quack. You know how drunk people, when they get drunk, they let it all out. Send people into the presence of God and you will talk it out. When I get in the presence of God, I pour my soul out. I pour my spirit out before him because I know I'm before an objective God and it doesn't matter when I'm at the altar. I don't care who's next to me because they're not judging me. It's me and God. You will unfold and unload your life when you feel close enough to God and stop waiting to be comfortable with people because you never will be because people have sides. Number eight, find a place of mutuality. I'm wrapping it up. I'm coming to a close. Don't worry, I'm ending it. Find a place of mutuality, meaning resolution can only happen in the land of objectivity for both sides. Find a mutual off-ramp for open discussions and amicable reasoning. In other words, me and Joy, we drive and we argue, and instead of staying on the same freeway, let's agree, let's get off on off-ramp 71. Let's go. In other words, you want to go to Taco Bell, I want to go to Denny's. Let's get, okay, you want Chipotle? Okay, Joyce said she wants Chipotle. She won't go Chipotle. I want Denny's. So neither one of us are happy with that. Let's get off on off rep 71 and let's go to Applebee's. Do you get what I'm saying? We can find some sort of resolution when we get in an off ramp that doesn't represent where we're arguing. Number nine, undivide your world and start seeing things as one. In other words, stop seeing your life as so divided in sides. I'm a black man. I'm a Christian. I'm a Republican. I'm a leftist. Uh, I'm a socialist. Uh, I'm a this. I'm a that. I hold to disbelief. In other words, stop clarifying yourself as that. Start seeing yourself as a human being. As just a person. Families harm each other so many times because we treat each other like we think the family should be. Let people be humans. Our family is filled with humans. Yes, provide guidelines to your kids, but there's no reason why any parent should be trying to control a grown 35, 40, 50 year old man or woman, period, point blank. Undivide your world. Number 10, love is the most objective common denominator. So through the objective of love, you can find new subjectivity in the world. The most attractive drawing of life is love. The world is not an abstract and I'm not saying you can't, you can't walk through life and not be subject to anything. What I'm saying is when you find the objective of love, you find new subjectivity in the world. Don't miss it. 
when I can point people to the objective of love, when I operate out of the objective of love, then my subjective relationships find new meaning and relativity. The world is not abstract. We do live in it. We do have to go to work. We do have relationships. But our subjectivity must flow out of our objectivity to let people be and choose for themselves how they want to live their lives. We should not give our subjectivity in life to the control of the people to whom we are in subject to. We then become fellow citizens, as the text says. We are not bifurcated. They are not red and we are not blue. We become fellow citizens, the text says, that we find peace in coming together. We are not rival groups around the world, but we are one human race. We're not the black race, the brown race, the yellow race, the blue race. We're the human race. We become relatives. Oh, 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 watch this. Relative, objective, subjective, relative. Oh, so things, some things are relative, meaning we are family because we are now interrelated to something similar. Relative means it depends on something else before it can be evaluated. So when I talk about my being a relative, my essence depends on something that came before it before you evaluate me. In other words, your evaluation of me is relative to my parents and my siblings. In other words, we become relative to one another. Subjective is left to the individual to evaluate. In other words, the person who is evaluating you, if it's a relative, they can't evaluate you without evaluating where you come from. A subjective person evaluates you based on solely what they think of themselves. In other words, they're seeing it only from their subjective perspective. But an objective person who comes to evaluate you, it means something that is not influenced by personal opinion or fact base. In other words, somebody needs to evaluate you not based on where you come from, not based on what I think, but based on nothing at all but what God thinks. And so as we begin to go through life judging and evaluating people and relationships and jobs and churches and religions and beliefs and faith and lack of faith and people and what they stand for, we must do it not as relative, not as subjective, but as objective, giving people the opportunity to choose who they want to be for themselves, wrestling with God on their own and letting them decide who they're going to be in their own name. So these 10 items are understood best in this diagram. Check this diagram I made up for you, and it looks like this. Put it on the screen, please. God is at the top. Side one is at the bottom. Side two is on the right. And ultimately, God wants to bring through that line in the middle. He wants to bring priests to a combined side. He wants to bring side one to side two. And that's what Ephesians 2, 11 through 19 says. God is clearly the objective. He's the peacemaker in the text. He's acting his role out in Christ. 
He has come to be the objective savior of all mankind. He has come to take the limits off and the restrictions off of our own judgmental flawed ways. And so side one is Israel. Side one is the circumcised. Side two would be the Gentiles. Side two would be the uncircumcised. But the goal of God was not to pick sides. God said, I'm not picking side one. God said, I'm not picking side two. He says, I'm going to join the sides together and I'm going to make you one. God says I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to make you like me. Which all who have chosen the objective message of the gospel of love have become the combined sides in the family of God. That all of us who have chosen to believe in the almighty Christ are no longer white. We're no longer black. We're no longer this and we're no longer that. But we are one by the blood of Jesus Christ and the combined sides as the fellow citizens as described in Galatians 3.28 it says there is neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus God is in the business of removing sides so be careful when you create sides in the name of being right sometimes there's this Christian nationalist group that goes around saying and demanding that we can treat you any kind of way because it's the right side there has been so much attention given lately to anti-Semitism spewing of hate across racial and religious lines, homophobia, etc. on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. All over the world, people are mad because people are taking sides. And I remind all of us that God wants to bring all of us together. And it's possible by offering the objective love, the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, we must not offer sided love. We must not side with the Jew. We must not side with the black. We must not side with the white. We must side with God. And how do we do that? By loving everybody. By loving the Jew. By loving the white. By loving the black. By loving the right. And by loving the wrong. We have a love that takes no sides. It's not the love of the Baptist. It's not the love of the Catholic. It's not the love of the Jew. It's not the love of the Republican or the Democrat. But it's the love of no side. It's the love where God says regardless of where you come from I've got a heaven that's open up to you and I've got a plan for your life just the pure objective love of God means no more sides so I'll conclude with these final thoughts of inspiration to action my final thoughts and words to you are this that God is the great unifier of all mankind he has proven this in the past that when we talk about all being created equal the only way that upholds is if we all can find an objective object to focus upon and when we are all one we all must focus upon God that is partly why the constitution was written with an understanding of God involved in humankind. But we seem to have veered away from that year after year after year. But we mustn't lose hope, Joyce, and think that fighting to win is our answer. We must not come armed as Christians with machetes, AK-47s, and Gats and Glocks 
fighting for the rights of the Bible. But instead, we must come to the battlefield armed with an unconditional love. We must come be willing to die, willing to be shot, willing to be a martyr for the love of God. This is why Martin Luther King stood up and said, this is a nonviolent movement. If I will die, then let me die, but I'll die fighting for love. We must be the drum major of truth, the drum major of God's unconditional love to a man who daily rejects him. But I get excited, Lou, that every now and then when there are ten rejections, the one decides to choose him. And no matter how right we think we are, We really have no right whatsoever. Truth and righteousness belong to our God. We are granted rightness at his approval. We have no right. How can you argue? for your right. So to argue we are right is in itself a lie. We have no right because we have no heaven or hell to grant people access to. So when you say you're right, you're saying you're truth. You're saying you are the right way. When you're saying you're right, well, you can't be right if you can't give people access to rightness. For Romans 3.23 said, there is none righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But there is only one who is righteous. And that is God. So you say you're the right wing. You're flawed. There's only one right wing and that is God. Only God can give people a place to lay their head in peace or in turmoil. The only thing you can grant yourself to is death. And after that you have no real understanding of what happens after that anyway. Even your birth you had no control over You were made by others. Mama and daddy was, (laughs) and they were doing their thing, and here you come in the world. You have no right of how you even got here. You were made by others. So technically, what right do you have to say you have the right way? Other than the rights of the laws of the land that have been given to you, the life has been given to you, that God has given to you, you have no rights. In other words, you came in rightless. And someone had to give you rights. And so what we're saying is, I don't have the rights. Who has the rights when somebody's trying to play my song? They look for me. It's called a copyright. They bring it to me because I own the rights. When you start talking about life, who owns the rights to life? God is the copywriter of life. He gave life. He breathed into man and man became a living soul. And so the only rights you have are the rights over you. The right to be healthy. The right to live smart the right to educate yourself, the right to be a better person, the right to lie, the right to steal, to cheat, to give up, or to press harder. Those are your rights. But our rights find the most meaning when we align our rights with the great unifier of God. He brings us together as humans, as couples, as friends, as family, as co-workers, etc. When we put down our rights and we trust the rights of God. So as we live in the rest of this year, Let us come out of ourselves and out of our sides more and more and come into the realm of the objective and stop seeing things our way or the other's way. But let's start seeing all things and all people God's way and let us say this chant all this week. No more taking sides. No more taking sides. No more 
taking sides. I'm PC, and that's all I've got.